Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. And before we dive into the message today, I just want to take a moment to let you know that over the course of the next 14 days, as a church, as part of this four initiative, we are going to be spending the next two weeks praying and fasting. Praying and fasting, we reckon if we saturate this new initiative with prayer, we'll be starting on the right foot and on a good foundation. And so we want to encourage you to just take one meal a day. Just lunch or dinner or breakfast, whatever kind of works for you, and skip that meal and then take 30 minutes or 60 minutes, and instead of eating, use that time to pray. Pray for the city of Perth. Pray for our city leaders. Pray for business leaders and government leaders. Uh, Pray for the friends that you know who might be far from God or for whatever reason kind of, um, you know, anti-church or or not open to faith. Uh, Pray for the needs of our city. And, of course, at the same time, let's pray for our world. There's a lot of uh, really difficult things going on in our world right now. And, And we do believe that when we pray Things do happen. God does move, right? And so when we unite our hearts in our faith and we come in agreement before God's throne of grace, uh, God does what only God can do. And so we want to pray over the next two weeks into all of those things, right? So make sure you're a part of that because it's going to be a really good initiative. Now, if I was to ask you this morning uh, the question, uh, what would you say is the most recognizable brand on the planet? What do you reckon the answer to that question would be? Uh, Is it Google? Maybe Amazon? I don't know what, Facebook maybe? McDonald's? Like, what would you say is the most recognizable brand on the planet? Truth of the matter is, there's actually a lot of debate right now about which is the most recognizable uh, brand on the planet. Experts generally agree quite easily and readily on which is the biggest brand in terms of, you know, value, because it's not hard to calculate a company's market capitalization. So you can work out which is the biggest brand in terms of value. But when it comes to which is the most recognizable brand, there's actually a lot of kind of difference of opinion and debate. And a lot of the reason for that is simply because as globalization kind of fills the world and more and more businesses are able to take their products and services overseas, it's now possible for more and more businesses to become globally recognizable. And so some businesses have become, you know, a household name literally overnight. And so there's lots of different opinion around, okay, which is the most recognizable brand on the planet right now? But that was not always the case. In fact, for many, many, many years, there was one single kind of heavyweight champion of the brand recognition world, and that was the company Coca-Cola. All right, for many, many years, Coca-Cola was recognized as the most recognizable brand on the planet because Coca-Cola had as its mission this desire to put its product in the hands of every single person on the planet, a, a mission that they have committed enthusiastically to for a very long time. And, and so certainly, uh, you know, Coca-Cola would be recognized by many today as being the most ubiquitous product on the planet uh, in the sense that it is everywhere, okay? And I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've traveled widely. I've been to very uh, isolated and remote parts of the world, and I can tell you I have found Coke everywhere. I've been to some of the most isolated places in Central Africa and Eastern Africa and Southern Africa and in in Southeast Asia, places where you can hardly find the basic necessities that you can buy off yourself at Coles or Woolies, right? Places where you cannot even buy petrol for your car, but you can buy Coke, all right? Just don't put the Coke in your car because that's not going to be a good idea, but it is literally everywhere, okay? Now, now what... um, 
has made Coke so incredibly successful, right, is a commitment to two very specific things. And yet, despite how, how widely recognized Coke is and, and how um, ubiquitous their product has become, do you know that there is a symbol, there is a symbol that is even more recognizable than Coke. Do you know what that symbol is? It's the cross. It's the symbol of the cross. Do you know that the cross is almost universally recognized as the central symbol of the Christian faith? There's hardly a person on the planet who does not recognize that the cross is the primary symbol of Christian faith. And yet there are so many people who do not fully understand the true meaning of the message of the cross or the implication of the message of the cross for their own lives personally. In fact, some people have even come to uh, understand the cross to represent something that God never intended it to represent, like hypocrisy or judgment or condemnation or something like that. And so we as the church really do actually have an enormous task ahead of us. We have a, a big job to do in communicating to the many people of this world who may well in fact recognize the cross as the symbol of Christianity, but who for whatever reason have chosen to refuse it or reject it or not receive what it stands for and what it represents. Now, what has made Coke so unbelievably successful in getting their product into so many people's hands is firstly a very deep uh, sense of passion for fizzy sugar water, okay? <laughs> Alongside that passion, however, is something more important, and that is an unrelenting commitment to focusing on their potential rather than focusing on their success, in other words, Coke has never got to the point where they've said to themselves, hey, we have managed to get so much of our product into the hands of so many people, we're all good. Like, we're going to just put up our feet, we're going to sit back and relax, and we're just going to enjoy our success. Coke has never done that. Right? They have an unrelenting commitment to their unrealized potential. And that unrealized potential is represented by all the people who have yet to enjoy the wonderful product called Coke. Now, I'm pretty sure that I do not need to uh, convince you that we can and should be more passionate about Jesus than Coke is about sweet, fizzy sugar water, right? And I'm 100% convinced that if you have met Jesus, and if you are a follower of Jesus, and if you have been on the receiving end, like of His grace, and His goodness, and His kindness, and His forgiveness, and His mercy, right, I don't need to convince you to be passionate about Jesus, but what we do need to do as the church is we need to make an unrelenting commitment to our unrealized potential. And that unrealized potential is represented by the many people, the millions of people out there in our world today who may recognize the cross but don't receive it. Those who recognize the Christian faith and message but have refused it. Those who for whatever reason have said, no thanks, no church for me. No Jesus for me, no God for me. We, have to, we, we cannot, as the church, afford to sit back and put up our feet and say, hey, look at a wonderful faith community we've built. This is awesome. Let's close the doors. Let's, let's batten down the hatches. Let's circle the wagons, and let's just enjoy one another, right? We cannot do that. We have got to make a deep personal and collective commitment to our unrealized potential, and that unrealized potential is those people in our world, those people in our neighborhood, in our city, who are yet to experience the goodness of God's grace and His love and His provision and His mercy and all the good things that you and I have been on the receiving end of, right? We've got to make a commitment to that because, friends, at the end of the day, 
those people are precisely the people that God cares about the most right now. Right? Those are the people that God is for, and those are the people who are on the heart of God. I want you to listen to what uh, Luke tells us in his gospel. This is Luke chapter 17. And this is a really uh, important, significant episode from the life of Jesus and uh, some kind of important statements that he made. Uh, Luke chapter 15, reading from verse 1 to 7, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Wow, what a scandal. <laughs> Jesus the rabbi, sitting and eating and socializing and drinking with with people who are prostitutes and tax collectors and those that the religious establishment considered to be the untouchables, right? The outsiders. Um, I like what Andy Stanley says about this. He says, you know, that people who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. I love that. I, I hope that turns out to be true of you and me. And Luke goes on to tell us in the next verse. He says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey guys, I am the good shepherd, and I have come into this world to find my lost sheep. That is the mission of Jesus, to seek and save the lost. And you know, friends, that many people who fall into that category of being lost are people who have said no to Jesus, no to faith, no to God, no to church. And for many of them, the reason they've said no is because they are assuming that God has said no to them. They've said no to faith and no to church because they are under the impression that God and the church have already said no to them. They've written church off because they assume that church has written them off. They've written God off because they assume that God has written them off. And friends, these are precisely the people that God is for and that God cares so deeply about. And I know for a fact, and if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, if you're not part of the Christian faith, and you're kind of just here because you're curious or you've come in along with a friend, I think you'll agree with me. I think you'll agree that this is true. Most of the, the people I know who are not church people or Christian people don't like being called lost, right? They don't particularly like it because it kind of sounds somewhat derogatory. You know, like we use, we use the word lost to, to refer to someone who's beyond help or beyond hope. We say he's a lost cause, Right, As in, he can't be helped and there's no hope for him in the future. Well, friends, that is not what that word means in this context. Right? I know it's a word Jesus used, so it's a word we use. But it's so important for us to clarify what he means by lost people when he's talking about the lost. And perhaps the best way for me to explain it is to share a little story with you. Um, a number of years ago, when my son was much younger, he was just a small, a small boy, we were at uh, Hillary's boat harbor up in the north, and we were sitting on the beach area there, and he was playing in the water just at the, at the water's edge. And he became so, like, engrossed in what he was doing that he gradually drifted along the water's edge until he was quite far from where we were sitting. And I remember watching him because, of course, as, you know, his parents, we wanted to make sure that he was safe. And I remember him getting up at one point 
and looking around to see where we were, and he couldn't see us because he had drifted so far down the, the coast. And I remember seeing the visible, like, distress in his face and in his body language when he suddenly realized he couldn't see us. He probably assumed that we had got up and left, right? So I stood up, and I just started waving. I just started waving, and eventually he saw me, and I could see the visible relief that, you know, settled on his face and in his body language when he realized that he could see me and I could still see him. And he dropped his little bucket and spade and came running over to where we were, right? And in a sense, friends, that's what the Bible means when it says that there are people who are lost. People who are lost are people who've just simply lost sight of God. People who've lost sight of the fact that there is a creator who gave them life. People who've lost sight of the fact that they do have a heavenly father who cares about them and, and who, who wants the best for them. People who have, for whatever reason, become disorientated in life and who may perhaps feel far from God. And you know what, friends? People may have lost sight of God, but God has not lost sight of them. People in our world may feel far from God, but God is never far from them. He has always had his eye on them. And so there are so many people who fall into that category, people that Jesus would call lost, people who for whatever reason have already said no to church and no to faith and no to God, often because they've assumed that God and the church have said no to them. And these are the people that God's heart is broken for. These are the people that God is wanting us to reach out to. So today we're asking the question, well, how do we do that, right? How do we do that practically? Now, last weekend when Pastor D launched this um, initiative, he gave us a kind of critical bottom line. I want to read it to you because this is the bottom line of the whole four initiative. He said this, right? Many people are more familiar with what the church is against. We want to be known for what we are for. And what are we for? We are for people. We are for schools. We are for businesses. We are for marriages. We are for the city and for this community because God is for the city and God is for this community. We want to be known for what we are for, not what we are against. So the question today is how do we do that effectively? How do we effectively let the city of Perth know and the people of Perth know that we and God for them, not against them. And I want to share some things with you that I reckon might be really helpful. Now, you can add to this list. No doubt you'll have some ideas on how we can do that effectively as well. So feel free to do that. But these are a few things that I reckon we can do to help make sure that the people of our city and our world understand God is for them and we are for them. All right, number one, first is this. I reckon we need to start saying yes to those who've already said no. Let's start saying yes to those who have already said no, those who have said no to God, no to faith, no to Jesus, maybe because they've assumed that God and the church have said no to them, how do we find ways to say yes to those who have already said no? So for instance, uh, can, can we come and attend your gatherings even though we don't necessarily believe what you believe? Yes. Can we come along on Sunday morning in our board shorts and our thongs? Yes. <laughs> Can we have a potentially uncomfortable and awkward conversation about your God and your faith and our sexuality? Yes. Um, can we come and just sit and listen? We're not kind of ready to give money and join a team. Can we just come and be part of your faith community and check this Christianity thing out? Absolutely. Yes. Right? Uh, we don't necessarily believe what you believe. We, we're not into this Christianity thing, but you know what? We're really struggling in our marriage. Will you help us? Yes. 
You know, we're not Christian, we're not people of faith, we're not particularly religious, but we see this financial counseling service that you offer, and we're struggling to balance our budget. Will you help us get on top of our financial situation? Yes. Hey, can, can we use your awesome facility to host our charity fundraising event? Yes. Right? Uh, you know, can, can we bring our son and our daughter to be prayed for by the church. Like, we're not Christian. We're not particularly religious. We're not quite sure where we sit on this whole faith thing. But we really like the idea of the church blessing our child. Will you pray for our son or our daughter, even though we don't belong to your church? Yes. Yes. Will you help us deal with homelessness in the city of Perth? Yes. Will you help us feed the hungry? Yes. You get the idea? We want to say yes as much as we possibly can to those who, for whatever reason, have already said no. And we need to do that not only collectively as a faith community, we need to do that personally and individually. So I want to encourage you to think about it today. How can you start finding ways to say yes to people who, for whatever reason, have already said no? No to faith, no to Jesus, no to church, and no to the, um, the community of, of, of belief, right? That's number one. Start saying Yes, to people who've already said no. Number two, I reckon we need to start preparing our home for those we plan to invite. We need to start preparing our home for those we plan to invite. Um, I don't know if this is true in your household, but this is certainly true in our household. Whenever we have um, someone come around for dinner, we put in like a little bit of extra effort to make sure that the house is kind of like neat and tidy. We, you know, pack up, pack up the cushions and put away the shoes and the dirty laundry, and we make sure there's a fresh set of towels in the bathroom, and, uh, you know, now we keep our home neat and tidy most of the time, but we just put in that little bit of extra effort to make sure that it's welcoming and warm and smells nice and looks nice, right? I, I reckon most of us would do that. Um, we kind of do the same thing when we're having children, right? Those of you who are parents, you'll, you'll know that you did this when you had a baby for the first time. You start preparing the environment for the arrival of that child. So you might set up a room where that baby's going to sleep or maybe a certain little section in your room where the baby's going to spend the first few months. And, and uh, you might start moving furniture around because, you know, that baby is going to become a toddler eventually. And, and so if you have, you know, furniture with sharp corners, you might get some of those little rubber, you know, things that you stick on the end of the, of the furniture so your little blessing doesn't bonk it, noggin on the side of your, your coffee table, right? If you've got stairs, you'll, you'll put like a security gate at the top of the stairs or the bottom of the stairs. The point is you prepare the environment for the benefit of your guests and for the new members of your family. You compromise. You, you might even go through some inconveniences in order to shape the environment for the benefit of others for the benefit of your visitors and the benefit of the new members of your family. And friends, we have to do the same here at The Rocks. And this is what we try to do every Sunday. We try to create an environment that's friendly, that's warm, that's engaging, that's accepting, that's inclusive, that's not too threatening and too weird. Now, of course, we have to acknowledge we are a church, so we do churchy things. And every now and again, that's going to look and feel a little weird. Like sometimes we're going to sing some songs and the lyrics are going to be a little strange. We're going to sing things you know, about the blood of the lamb. And if, if you're not a person of faith and you've never been particularly religious, that can just seem a bit strange. But listen, at the end of the day, we are just ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. And we want to share that extraordinary God with the world, right? But it's going to take all of us bringing the best of us if we're going to shape an environment like that, right? And that's why this morning we're saying to you, hey, we would love you to sign up and serve. We'd love you to take whatever talent you have, like whatever ability, whatever grace, whatever life experience, whatever wisdom God has invested in you, 
and bring it and use it to help shape environments like that here. You can join a volunteer team that serves inside the church. You can join a team that serves outside the church, in the community. But we want you to bring the best of who you are and all that God has invested in you. And we want you to help us shape environments like that. Right? We, We are so grateful for your presence and so grateful for your attendance. But we'd be even more grateful for your contribution if you brought the best of who you are and used it to help serve uh, and build this home into a place that's welcoming and accepting. And you know what? You need to start thinking about church as being your home, right? The Bible talks about the church as being the house of God. How many of you know the church is a house, not a hotel? And do you know what the difference is between a house and a hotel, right? In a house or in a home, you contribute to the environment. You take responsibility, Right? You have a sense of ownership for it. In a hotel, somebody else prepares the environment for you. You just show up and enjoy it. Okay? Well, how many of you know God did not intend the church to be a hotel? God intended the church to be a home. So start thinking of the rocks as your home and start taking responsibility for your contribution to shaping this into a place that we can invite friends to come. And so you can do that today. You can sign up today, join a team, and help us shape an environment into which we can invite people. And then finally and thirdly, I reckon we need to get out into the community and start inviting people. Start inviting people into our lives, right? Start inviting people into our personal space. Invite people into our story, into our journey. Invite people into conversation with us about God and about life. And then, of course, ultimately invite people to church. But we want to invite people, right? Uh, There's a beautiful example in Acts chapter 17 of how this gets done really well. And uh, this is, of course, Paul the Apostle, and he's on a mission trip to Greece. How awesome does that sound? Anybody up for a mission trip to Greece? I'd I'd sign up for that, right? And uh, he's in the city of Athens, and it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, it says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Whereas I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What I I love about what Paul is doing here, friends, is that he is out in the community, and he is observing, and he is listening before he is speaking. Right? Now, of course, he eventually gets into a conversation and shares the good news of the gospel with them. But he first goes into that context, into that community, and he watches and he listens. And I reckon we need to do the same. We need to get out into our workplaces, get out into our neighborhoods, into our universities, and we need to listen and we need to look before we speak. And we need to ask ourselves the question, so what do the people of Perth really need? What do the people of Perth really care about? What are the people in your neighborhood stay up at night and worry about? What do the people in your university wrestle with and struggle with and talk about? What do people prioritize? What do they idolize? Like, what does our community need? What do they want? Right, we need to listen and observe before we speak. And then we need to find points of connection. We need to find elements inside that context and inside that culture that we can use as catalysts to open up conversations, important conversations about life and faith. And that's exactly what Paul does here in Acts chapter 17. He takes an element out of their culture and he uses it as a catalyst for a conversation, a conversation about life and faith and God, right? It's kind of like what we do when we run the uh, At The Movies uh, series here at The Rocks. How many of you have been to an At The Movies series here at The Rocks, right? They're fantastic. And, and all we're really trying to do there is take an element from our culture 
and use it as a catalyst for a conversation. Conversation about God and about faith and about what really matters. And so we need to get out into our community, listen and, 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 and look, and then find points of contact and commonality that can become catalysts for conversations about God and faith. And then start inviting. Start inviting people into those conversations. Invite people into your home. Invite them into your story. And ultimately, invite them to church. Uh, you know, a number of years ago, I stumbled across this um, news article. And I'll finish with a story. Um, it was a news article about a man that you may or may not know uh, called Andrew Costello. And Andrew Costello is, and no disrespect to him, but a, a relatively low-level celebrity in, in South Australia. And he hosts uh, some TV shows and radio shows there. And uh, Andrew Costello was due to celebrate his birthday. And he was attending a conference. And at this particular conference, there was a lady speaking, and she was kind of wrapping up her talk and just happened to mention as part of her talk, that one of the things she struggled with most as a mother was the fact that her special needs child, who suffered a, a particular a mental health challenge, had never received an invitation to a child's birthday party. And she said one of the most difficult things she had to endure as a mother was going to school every day to pick up her child and seeing other children pour out of the classroom clutching invitations to birthday parties, and her child, because of his unique needs, was never invited. And so Andrew thought, well, that's not right. That's not cool. So he said, right, I've got a birthday coming up. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create uh, an event, and I'm going to invite children who have never received an invitation to a birthday party to come celebrate my birthday. And so he created a little Facebook kind of event and tried to get it out there, and uh, he was inundated with responses from parents who said, you know what? That's my child. My child has never received an invitation to another child's birthday party. And uh, eventually, uh, the Adelaide Zoo got hold of the story. They, they got wind of what was happening. And so they said to Andrew, hey, mate, we'll make the zoo available to you for your party. And we'll give all the children who come free entrance to the zoo, along with their parents. And so that day, they held a party at the Adelaide Zoo. And over 100 children with their parents came along to celebrate Andrew Costello's birthday. 100 children who had never received an invitation to another child's party. And I read that and I thought to myself, that is brilliant. And that is so beautiful. And you know why it's beautiful? Because friends, that is a picture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a party for the uninvited. The kingdom of God is a feast. It's a celebration. And everybody is welcome. The kingdom of God is a party for all of those who, for whatever reason, found themselves on the margin. All of those who are oppressed. All of those who are forgotten. All of those who have been disregarded and discounted by the religious establishment. All of those who consider themselves to be imperfect and unworthy. The kingdom of God is a party and everyone is invited. But here's the thing. God's invitation gets sent out in human envelopes. Right? God's invitation gets sent out in human envelopes. In other words, the invitation has got to come through you, and it's got to come through me. So we're going to start inviting people into this journey and into this story. So the question becomes, all right, what next? What next? What do we do? Like in light of everything we heard from Pastor D last week, and in light of everything we've heard today, what do we need to do next? Right? And I want to suggest that there are three possibilities today. Right? Number one, sign up to serve. Sign up to serve. If you consider this place your home and you haven't yet 
kind of started to bring yourself in terms of your abilities and your talents and your gifts and your resources to help serve and build this house, you can sign up today. Like, you don't even have to know where you want to serve. You just need to, you just need to express your interest. You can go to the rocks.info. You can sign up there, or you can go have a conversation with someone at the connection desk and just let them know, I'm ready. I'm, count me in. I, I want to bring who I am, and I want to use who I am and invest who I am in the life of this church. And our team will help you find the best place to serve, depending on your unique capacities and circumstances. And, and that might require that you go and have a conversation. As a couple, if you're here today as a couple, like how are we going to make this work? How can we do this together? But that might be the next step for you. And you know what? You can literally do it today. You can do it right now. You can do it while I'm talking. Just grab your phone. Head to the rocks.info and just express your interest there. Do it before you walk out of the building today. That might be the next step for you. I know for many of you, though, you're sitting here and like you're already serving. You already give so much of your time and energy. And so maybe for you, the next step is to invite a friend to church. Invite a friend to church. And you know what? Next Sunday is the perfect weekend to do that because next Sunday is bring a friend to church Sunday, right? 6th of March, first weekend in March, we create a special experience that is uniquely designed to allow you to bring your friends to come and experience what we experience every Sunday. And you know what? You can do that right now. You can literally pick up your phone right now and you can fire off a text message to that person you're thinking of because I know that you are thinking of someone already, someone in your, in your world, someone in your family, your university, your workplace, and send them a text message and just say, hey, I'm sitting in church right now and I'm thinking of you. And I'm just thinking about how much I reckon you'll enjoy what we do here on a Sunday. And we have a special Sunday happening next Sunday. I reckon you'll really enjoy it. Would you consider coming with me? fist pump, <laughs> right? You could do it, right? You could do it right now. You could do it before you leave the auditorium. Why wait, all right? And you'll be astonished how ready and willing people are to say yes. If you invite me, I'll come, and they'll come and be, and who knows? Who knows what God will do in their lives? Who knows what hope will spring forth in their heart? Who knows what life change they'll experience next Sunday as they come with you? And then thirdly and finally, I reckon we can all pray. We can all pray. That's something every single one of us can do. So over the next two weeks, pick a meal, skip the meal, and use that time to pray for your friends. Pray for the city. Pray for our business leaders. Pray for our government leaders. Let's pray for the people of the world. And let's pray that the good news that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord saturates our city and saturates our world. And that many people come to know and experience His goodness and grace. In Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.